Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today, I'm delighted to welcome James and David onto the show. James and David, please, can I ask you to introduce yourselves, tell us what you do at Software, and maybe also an interesting fact about yourself. Hi, I'm James Griffiths. I'm one of Software's technical leads, and I'm currently working with a government department to build a digital service within gov.uk. The interesting fact about me is this year, I unfortunately left it too late to send my mum a Mother's Day card. So I thought I'd send her an e-card instead. And then I thought, well, hang on, I'm, I'm a software developer. I could, I could build her an e-card, but I'm not very good at fancy like graphics or animations. And most of the time I build government websites. Um, so I built my mum a gov.uk branded website that would wish her happy birthday. <laughs> This is brilliant. And I think you, you shared it, didn't you? So we could all send it to our mums if we wanted to. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It got, it got a few hundred views. <laughs> Hi, I'm David Eady and I'm a tech consultant at Software with interest in security. I'm currently working with the BBC. Interesting fact about myself. Mm, I've got a twin sister, if that counts. That's very cool. Yep. What does your twin sister do? She works in nuclear safety, of all things. Oh, very exciting. Well, that's a handy thing to have in the family, someone who can uh, secure you from any nuclear fallout that might happen. I don't think that's quite what her job is, is it? <laughs> in today's episode, we are going to talk about securing your web applications. Last year, Cybersecurity Ventures magazine predicted that cybercrime will cost the world $6 trillion annually by 2021, up from $3 trillion in 2015. And this will make cybercrime more profitable than the global trade of all major illegal drugs combined. So it's pretty big business. Stefan Napo, who is the Global Chief Information Security Officer for Societe Generale, said it takes 20 years to build a reputation and a few minutes of cyber incident to ruin it. So spending to combat cybercrime, according to Gartner, is over $100 billion annually. So that sets the scene for us for today's podcast. Security is important and companies are investing heavily to make sure they're protected. So if everyone knows that security is important and is spending billions of dollars on it, do we even need to be having this podcast? I mean, do we need to be discussing security? I mean, everyone's got it covered already, right? Yeah, I, I, that's, the, that's an interesting question. I find that still a lot of the clients aren't concerned enough about security. People see other companies being attacked, but there's still a real feeling of, oh, it, it won't happen to me. Having said that, I've also been surprised by a few customers who, who have taken security much more seriously than I expected. Some of our government customers in particular planning on how to protect themselves against state-sponsored attacks. So I, I think it is a mixed bag. Some people do do take it too seriously and some, and some, some people not enough. What are the kind of common things that people miss? Sometimes you can look at your application and go, well, I'm going to protect against these sort of common web vulnerabilities. But often they're not sort of the roots into your application. It's often, say, a phishing email is sent to your staff and there's some details on your systems compromised. Somebody has now a backdoor into your system, whether that's into your database to harvest your, your data, which is quite lucrative for a criminal, or even into your code. And as soon as they get those credentials, they have access to your system. That's one of these things that's not sort of necessarily discussed in terms of securing a web app, but it's quite important to make sure that, that you're developing safely. Other things are things like test environments. 
So you need to make sure that if you protect your environment and you have data in your test environments or your test environment has a route to the live environment somehow, that you implement the same degree of, sort of safeguards in that environment as you do, say, in your live environment. Yeah, so it's a question of kind of thinking through every aspect of your system that might be exposed or might be vulnerable. And that kind of surface area is quite large. I really agree with David about it not just being the technical aspects, it being more about phishing and and so on. That's becoming an increasing attack vector for hacking attempts. And we're, we're getting more used to having a checklist of security things that we implement, but these phishing and social engineering attacks are getting wider and wider. And it's particularly a problem for uh, big organizations that are operating in a more command and control way where the employees are used to being told what to do. And if they're told by a by a senior person to, oh, can you send me that database? I'm at home and I don't have access to it. And so can you send it to my personal email address? That sort of thing's happened quite a lot you know, with real companies. And, and it's, it's harder in a company where people are given more autonomy. But equally, if people are given more autonomy, then they can, they can break things in other ways. So it's about having, I'm sure we'll come back to culture again, but it, it's about having a, a culture where people really do think, think things through. And they talk things through with other people to sort of check that, that what they're doing really is okay. Right. And I think you've already just highlighted um, that in many ways, it is a question of balancing competing priorities against each other. There's not just one security answer and you just you do the security answer and suddenly everything's absolutely fine. It is a complex process of weighing different things up against each other. For example, you don't want employees who only do what they're told because they might be told to do what to do by the wrong person. And you also don't want employees with so much freedom that actually they can just decide off their own bat to go and do something that totally exposes the system to attacks from elsewhere. Absolutely. I think it's about sort of levels to some extent and you need a sort of holistic approach across the whole thing where you can weigh up where to focus your attention in terms of securing your, your system and your infrastructure, your people, your company. But also looking at the low level, how do you go about, say, securing your code or how do you go about securing your, your application infrastructure? And there are a lot of tools you can you can sort of use at different levels, like code review or security review. But you need to constantly have your eye on it, constantly sort of check all these different levels that, that your processes and your code and your people and your infrastructure are all sort of secure against, against these attacks. Yeah, I, I think that's really important to think about the, the different layers of security. Yeah, that people still think of security as being in or out, that your application is either secure or insecure. But really, you've got lots of different layers of security and each layer protects against a different type of attack. And the, the advantage of having lots of layers is that even if one layer gets compromised or if you write a bug in your code that, that, that breaks one of your layers, you've still got other layers to keep your application secure. Adding each of these layers does come with a cost. And so at some point you do have to weigh up the cost effectiveness of adding additional layers. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, it's a bit like having a, a kind of net and then putting another net over the top. And you can imagine that the ones that miss the first net would get trapped by the second net and you could keep building them. But obviously, the more of them there are, the more expensive it is to build, I guess, is a very simple analogy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Something else you just touched on there was the fact that security isn't something you just do once and then it's done forever, right? How do you know that your security is up to date? 
That's a good question. I guess there's so many answers to this because, as, as James says, now there are a lot of different areas that you need to keep up to date. It sounds a bit weird that you say, oh, well, it's secure last week. Why is it not secure anymore? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. And one of the main answers there, I think, is, is, is that vulnerabilities, every, soft, every bit of software contains vulnerabilities. And over time, people discover them. So code wasn't necessarily more secure three days ago. It was just that nobody knew that it was insecure, how it was insecure. And as soon as these vulnerabilities start going around the internet, then criminals quick, very quickly jump on them and start using them to uh, extract your data or somehow or install you know, botnets or rootkits or whatever onto, onto, your, onto, your, onto your servers, which is it's not a good place to be. So you need to make sure that you are up to date with these security patches, particularly patches on the things that sort of interface with the world. And indeed, having obviously defense in depth in that means that sort of less vulnerabilities are maybe sort of externally facing. So there's less room for attackers to sort of get through all of your, all of your sort of safety nets at once. So it's really important to have a pipeline where you can update your and patch your dependencies really, really quickly. And that's dependencies in your operating system. That's dependencies in the, the framework you're using, in your infrastructure, in, indeed in your code libraries. So there's a lot of things to be on top of. And even things like your user's browser changes over time. So browsers are constantly implementing and improving their security measures. And it might actually mean that your site works today and might not work in a month's time. Because say Google is introducing a new a new change which which changes how you know, cross site cookies work, for example. That was something that happened a couple of months back, which Google actually ended up rolling back because a number of sites on the internet broke. It was sort of Google and sort of the, the browser's drive to improve the security of the web that ended up sort of breaking some things. So it's it's good that the web's becoming more secure, but we need to be constantly vigilant and, and, and have processes in place in order to keep our applications running and indeed secure into the future. And David, you were talking about um, having really good pipelines to get uh, to pick up changes in your dependencies in case those dependencies have vulnerabilities. I think that's a really that's a really important point, particularly these days with the the, the rise of frameworks like uh, Node.js and Node Package Manager. People tend to have sort of move towards having a, a system where you have a lot of different dependencies and you pull in lots of small dependencies written by a, a big open source community. But that does mean that there are, are many more different organizations or, or individuals who need to keep their, their code up to date and you need to be aware of, of all of that, all of those different dependencies that might be, be not up to date anymore. And then it introduces more vectors uh, in the, that could, could cause problems and that you need to be aware of and need to have systems to, to, to monitor. I just feel like there's so many different things that you have to consider. Something else you mentioned before was test environments. If you've got a banking app, you need to secure your banking app. But actually, why is a test application a risk? So one is, is data. If you have any data from your live environment, your test environment, then ideally you shouldn't do. <laughs> but sometimes um, you need to have a realistic sort of load to run against. And it might be that you copy that data across, in which case, obviously, it should be um, anonymized as, as best you can in line with GDPR and obviously in line with, with best practice. But it also your test environment can in some cases have access to other environments or to possibly even your live environment, like some kind of privilege escalation might be possible. So again, defense in depth, you should be sort of protecting against that, isolating your test environment from other environments so that they don't sort of compromise each other. And I mean, if your test environment is compromised, then they can start installing, it's quite common for 
unsecured VMs in the cloud to get like bot Bitcoin miners installed on them and start generating criminals money. Even if there's no sort of important data, they're still costing you money indirectly by using up your CPU credits or or sort of taking up your servers in ways that you don't you don't obviously don't want them to. Right. Um, so in general, you should make sure all your infrastructure is secure, <laughs> even even your test infrastructure. That thing about the um, test data, I find I find really fascinating because actually your your most enthusi- your most sort of over enthusiastic developers can accidentally be your own, your own worst enemy. Because when, when when developers are testing their code, it's really really useful to test against that realistic data, and so you can get an over enthusiastic developer copying data from a live environment just in order to get their work done effectively. And, and, and some companies tend to restrict this by restricting access to databases and making it really difficult to copy data between databases. And that certainly has, has, has a place in, in the security model. But, but really the best way to fix this problem is, is to help your developers get their job done effectively and help them create really realistic test data, either by taking the time to write really good anonymization scripts or by writing scripts to create high quality test data, anything that will keep their fingers away from the live database, um, but still allow them to get their job done and not get frustrated and bogged down in things working in tests for not working in production. Right. And this, it brings us on to another really important question because we tend to think of, you know, a computer system as maybe being a machine running on its own, but actually computer systems are built by people and people are a double-edged sword, right? That actually, as we were saying before, a lot of the security vulnerabilities come from people, but also your people are the people who are going to fix it for you and make it secure. So what is the best way, what's the best kind of culture to have within a tech team to give you the best kind of results security-wise? So, so I think from my, my angle, like what's an honest open culture is, is actually really important. So I mean, ideally, you don't have security incidents, but but it, that's that's naive to suggest they don't happen. Uh, say, for example, a few a year ago, I accidentally committed a private key to a certificate. It was a, was a private repository, but even so, it's something that shouldn't be done. So it's immediately you go about saying, well, actually, I've done this. These are the steps we should take. Hi, hi, clients. I've I've done this. Let's go and let's go and fix this problem. And it's really important that people should be allowed to to admit their mistakes and perhaps be encouraged to do so, and not necessarily punished for that. Obviously. You should look at sort of how to improve it and how to stop it from happening again. But you need people to, to be able to discuss things these openly in order to, to have a secure application. I guess this is reflected in things like the, the bug bounty program. People like um, Google or, or Facebook give money to people who discover vulnerabilities. They want to know about them. They don't want want things to be to be hidden. And that's something that should be taken and, and used by, by every team. But it's a little bit of a clash of ideologies, isn't it? Do you believe that you should make people too scared to make a mistake? Or is actually that a bigger vulnerability because you've then made them too scared to own up to a mistake, which is what you need in order to be able to fix it? It's interesting because the way I think of securing an applicant, you know, we're having a great chat at the moment about security, right? And and we're coming up with all kinds of ideas and all kinds of things we can go and do. So if I wanted to secure my app, I'd go and write down, I'd be like, right, well, James said this, and David said this, and I've got to go through and do all these things. But the biggest challenge is the things that aren't on the list or things you don't know, you know, there are always unknown unknowns in security. So how do you even start to deal with that? I, I think that the main way here, is is about your people having having good people who who have good training and who who keep up to date with security best practices and uh, are kind of interested in security and and, and look out reads the right the right blogs and the right those things are about what's coming up and on what, what new vulnerabilities have been discovered and and on what types of changes are, are 
are you know browser manufacturers going to make and how and how, how do you work around those? So a, a lot of this really is about people. I don't think there's like a, there's a silver bullet, but particularly with the these kind of unknown unknowns. Yeah, I think if you're struggling to get that inside your team, you should be looking outside of your team to to get to get in some experts that can can sort of look at your application and look at what might be might be going wrong. I think ultimately you you have say a checklist to go through, but that checklist is is, is thinking points. It should be sort of maybe some examples of things that could, could go wrong, but also encourage your team to actually take that and go, how is my application vulnerable? And it should almost be a almost a brainstorming exercise as well as just a sort of check tick box exercise. And it, you soon discover that actually what you think of vulnerabilities are not necessarily as important as some other things, and, and actually your priorities might be might be out of step, or indeed you might have missed a lot of a lot of a lot of issues. That's yes, yeah, it's a combination of having this culture where people can explore these ideas, but also getting in people or using resources which can highlight areas that you might not be aware of as well. I really like that idea of doing like a kind of brainstorm, or or, or even of getting like a neighbouring team to to say, can you try and hack my my, my test environment, or what ways would you use to 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 attack it, or, what, or particularly things like the social engineering problems? How could you persuade one of our employees to give you that data? And those ones are often the hardest to, to spot because you're so in the details, you're so in the mindset of working with it, within this team, you don't think of like. How, how you get persuaded to, to give people in the other I think that's spot on. Even people, so pen testers or, or penetration testers who, who who's brought in to try to sort of get into a system or get into a, to a company, you might do to be authorised to do things like phishing attempts or use backdoors into your software. There are also sort of security consultants and things that you can bring in to, to do a review of your system as well for that sort of external external validation. I think it's very important because if you're just writing code, you might not be aware of the broader context of of what you're doing and, and how that might be might lead to, to vulnerabilities at a different level. Right, how it how it could be misused. So do either of you have an example of something you've worked on personally that you know was quite a kind of clever security solution? For me, the things I'm, I'm most proud of are, I, I've not got any examples of like a really exciting bit of security I've implemented, but for me, the things I'm most proud of are when I've improved security without having to compromise the user experience. So for example, just simple things like recently we upgraded the security on some passwords, but without having to force everyone to reset their passwords and it worked really smoothly and seamlessly. I really hate it when you have to, when you have to force the user through extra steps just to to increase the security. So those are those are really exciting ones for me. Right, because actually that's something I missed out at the start. Security is important and we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on it, but it's not the only thing that's important. You still need an app that people can use <laughs> or a software that people want to use. Otherwise, you haven't got a business to be worth securing against. And often those are really competing demands where people will choose to use the less secure route because it's easier for them and, and, and that company will, will win and then we'll, we'll get the, uh, the security attack in a few years' time. So it, it's, a, it's a real difficult game. You do need to make sure you have both. I think it's very easy to sort of cut on security right now and then it doesn't bite you for a few years and suddenly it bites you it bites you very badly when it does. So it's something you need to be constantly addressing, but you don't necessarily see the benefits from it. I guess in a similar way to sort of COVID prevention or, or similar <laughs> things. I draw the parallel, but you need to be constantly preparing for it. And if you if you prepare for it well, it will never happen. So it can be a bit like hard to justify spending so much money on security. But you need to make sure that you're getting that level of spending right to make, to make sure your app does stay protected. Well, that's a really good question, actually, because is it possible to have like different levels of... Well, in fact, we were talking about it earlier, this idea of you can build more layers of net, but it costs you more money. So how do you weigh up 
how much secure how secure do you need your app to be how how do you know yeah it goes comes back to sort of like a little bit of brainstorming and working out sort of well, who who's going to be trying to access your application who's trying to trying to access your data or trying to access your service how are they going to do that so what what are the surface area what are the attack vectors and so depending on how much sort of funding and how and how keen they are to get into your application something might depend on on that how many levels of depth you need so james was talking about sort of state-sponsored actors earlier for certain things and obviously the the degree of security you need for those sort of attacks is, is much much higher than sort of a lot of small applications where realistically it's probably just going to be people running toolkits on their computer to scan scan the internet and try to look for common vulnerabilities that that's the main sort of threat that you have for maybe less less important less less security important applications I, th- I think it really depends on, on how important your, your data is and, and so on. I, I, I agree, it really, like there is a, a huge spectrum here. Currently, I'm working on a project where, where most of the data is publicly published data. So, so there's, there's very little private secret data in there. Whereas the previous project I was working on had, had databases of extremely vulnerable people in the UK uh, sort of ticked against their names on, in this database. And, and, so there's a, and so they that previous project cared in, uh, obviously a, a lot more about security and, 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 and justifiably so. I think it's almost, there's a, a correlation, isn't there, between how valuable your data is and how much you might care if you lose it. And then I think that's correlated with how much someone else wants it and hence is prepared to invest in attacking your system to get at it. So I think that there is this kind of, continuum between you know the russian government aren't interested in hacking into my twitter account for example up to something like you say where it is a database with information that people want to get hold of and will be trying to hack in because they can sell it or it has other value and so you you need to kind of doubly secure against it just finally what if you're working with a key stakeholder and you you know what security is needed and you know how important it is and you can't get them to agree with you? What are the kind of approaches you can take to highlight this and get people bought into it? I think the, the first question is to make sure that, that you do need the security you think you do. <laughs> and you need to do this sort of this sort of brainstorming exercise, this, this, this checklist exercise, where you kind of combine, look at what who, who might attack a system and what sort of attacks they might use. And, and you go, well, actually, this, this, these are the things I actually do need to protect against. And if you're sure that, that, that we do need this and there's pushback from, from someone senior or a key stakeholder, then you can start talking in, in their language about it. Um, so what is going to be the impact of if this security issue was not fixed? So, for example, if you don't update your, your version of, of the web framework for a year or two, then... It could mean that it's compromised over the internet and this gives hackers access to the database, which could result in a leak um, and a GDPR fine of up to three million pounds. Do we want to risk this for the sake of X amount of work? And I think looking at the the, the chance of risk of, of, of an incident and how much, money, how much money it might cost ultimately, or indeed based on reputation as well. It's very reputationally damaging as well as, as, well as costly if you have, have a security incident. And whilst it's maybe low, a low chance of it happening, it's... It's certainly a lot higher if you don't invest in, in the right security measures. So framing it in that way can help, I think. Yeah, it could be a big impact event that could bring your whole company down, for example. Absolutely. Well, and on that note, thank you so much, David and James. And join us next time on Software Tech Talks. Software Tech Talks.